Hey everybody, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Saber Talk podcast. This is Mark Geis. And Josh Eppinger. And we have a ton to talk about, so we didn't do any intermediate podcasts in between the the draft and free agency. So we've got the draft, free agency, the big trade to talk about. Um, I, I really could see this conversation going a whole bunch of different directions. I know the major topics we have to talk about, but so much to unpack here so i'm gonna toss it over to you josh what's been going on with you uh the last month or so since we did our last podcast um you know just been working a whole lot yesterday i was actually fortunate enough to uh get my morning job uh get off work for my morning job and i actually made it down to the harbor center in buffalo to see the three-on-three french french connection uh cup tournament uh, the last day of the Sabres developmental camp. So that was uh, very fun for me to go to and uh, see some of the prospects out there showcasing their skills. And instead of doing the regular blue and gold scrimmage that they usually do, they had the, a three-on-three tournament with uh, NHL overtime rules in it. But there was a 45-second um, clock that every 45 seconds – it, the whistle would blow, and then you'd have to switch it, your line. So they had four teams playing in that uh, between – they made four teams between all the prospects, and it was a heck of a time to go down there and check out the Harbor Center and really get an eye on some of these new prospects, including Casey Middlestat, who is an a- absolute stud out there. Yeah, it was great to hear those those fantastic reviews about Middlestat. I was very excited about the pick. I know we'll go into more depth about the draft later on, but – I'm definitely jealous you were able to make it to that event. Yeah, it looked like there was a looked like there was a quite a decent crowd there. Oh, it was packed. It was a lot lot more busier than the last developmental camp I went to, which was uh huh, man. The year after Myers won the Cal uh the Calder Cup uh award. Not the cup, but the Rookie of the Year award and me and you made it down to the old Pepsi Center. I know we've played a few games down there as well, but uh we went that down there. Do you remember that, Mark? I do, yeah. We ended up missing the practice. We did get some um, – we got quite a few autographs, though. I still have those autographs in my, my room back at my parents' house. But, yeah, that well, was a I, ways back. We we, uh, we made some of the practice. We made over half the practice. Oh, and, yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah, we missed the first session is what yeah. happened. Yeah, we yep. saw the second session, so we didn't see every player. Yeah. Because I don't well, think I got, they were all out on the ice at the same time. I still got a picture of uh, me and Tyler Myers on uh, Facebook or MySpace or something like that from back in the day that uh, you took with my old flip phone there. So we're going back a few years there, but, man, good times. Yeah, yeah, that was a that was a fun time. Um, that's also the last one I went to, the only, the only one I've ever gone to. Uh, so definitely jealous when I heard that you were going to be able to make it. Uh, who else were you impressed with at the camp or at um, the scrimmage? At the scrimmage, uh, I really was impressed by Hudson Fashing, a player that uh, I think most of us Sabres fans have uh, had our eyes on for a number of years now and uh, maybe a little discouraged with him. I, I know he had a groin injury last season, but uh, he uh, he looked like a, a real leader out there. He was passing the puck real nice, and it just impressed me how – how he was uh, getting in front of the net, and no one could really stop him from uh, positioning himself and 
him putting himself in favor from the net over the defenseman that was uh, any defenseman that was covering him. He was pretty unstoppable, and you know, there's uh there's gonna be a spot open uh, that maybe he could make his make his way into. I was I mean, Gooley was very impressive yesterday as well, though uh, I know Justin Bailey. We all know he has some pretty good speed and. Uh, um, Bailey was uh, got had two steps in front of Gooley. Gooley was uh, coming in the zone, and uh, Bailey uh, got got the puck and uh, went the other way. And um, on the back check, Gooley ran down Justin Bailey, who was no slouch in the speed department. So it was really impressive seeing Gooley do that. Um, I thought our second round pick Uka Pekka Lunarin or uh, Lukarin. I Lukanen. should say Uka. Lukanen, yeah, Ukapeka yep. Lukarin. Uh He uh, he had a a really good standout job. That guy is huge. His team did get uh, pushed around at the very end of their uh, their final game in the round uh, with two late goals on him. But he absolutely stood on his head and made some great saves. Uh, it should be. It'll be fun watching him for the next couple development camps and seeing what uh, he can bring to the table. He looks like he can be a really good prospect in the, for us. It's been a while since the Sabres have had a real elite goaltender prospect, and maybe maybe Lukanen can be that. And he was one of the few guys I thought that consistently throughout this entire camp, everybody I saw writing about him said they were impressed by him. I, of course, wasn't there to see it, but... You heard some about Middlestat that some people were a little disappointed by him early. Pretty much the reviews were glowing across the board at the uh, at the three on three scrimmage, but or the the three on three tournament. But Lukanen, yeah, got to be excited about that. And maybe you can look with some optimism if uh, if you're trying to look at the bright side of Cal Peterson deciding to to not sign with the Sabers. That the Sabers went out and drafted somebody who could turn out to be a stud in his own right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he he uh, he's quite a specimen out there. He's a big guy. He had uh, big orange bright goalie pads on too. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, but in uh, other guys that really impressed me too is uh, Raps Raspus Asplund. He uh, he uh, made some really good uh, had some really good shifts out there. Moved the puck well. Uh, played a good two way game. I thought and. He was with um, on that that white team w- with in that in the scrimmage with Middlestat and uh, and Hudson Fashing and those guys never lost uh, never lost a game in the scrimmage and they won it all. But uh, it was so Aspen looked good. Um, Nick Baptiste had a heck of a, a he- of some really nice plays. Uh, had a shootout goal at the end of a tie to win the game win one of the games that was really good he seemed very poised he's definitely a finisher I that could be a guy I could see uh pushing for a spot maybe at the end of training camp this year if he uh comes in with the right attitude and the right worth ethic uh Bailey Bailey I was expecting to watch him come out and really own the whole camp and uh Justin Bailey was kind of kind of you know he he Definitely made his made it made his uh, presence known out there with his speed and uh, some of his skill, but kind of quiet from him. I expected him to really be the guy that came out and owned the camp, 
And um, so I was a little surprised by that. And my last guy I want to touch on is uh, Alexander Nylander, who had a great great uh, penalty shot goal, too, the same day. But Nylander uh, missed a – someone set him up for a, a beautiful one-timer from the net, and he just – uh, put it right in the goalie's pad, and I was a little disappointed of Nylander. I was hoping to see him come out and own the camp as well, but uh, he definitely has looked like he's gotten bigger, which is a very good sign for him and his camp to improve himself to get to the big squad. Well, yeah, great great assessment. Another guy I, I heard a lot of people saying positive things about was Vasily Glatov. Uh, what do you think of him? Or did you notice him much? Uh, in the three, on the three, I was looking for him. Um, he had a pretty good, pretty good goal in the tournament, but he, he uh, I, I didn't notice him as much as the other guys I uh, touched up on for sure. Okay, great. Yeah, I was just curious. He seemed to be another guy that just a lot of people had put in their in their top performers, but it's hard in a setting like that to, you know, to really get a full impression of everybody out there because. It's a lot of players to take in at once, but uh, I there, think uh, there, there. I think Asplund especially seems to have taken his game to another level, and it's been a really nice ascension for him since he's been drafted. And you wonder, could he? You you have to hope he's coming over to North America next year, and could he push for a spot on the Sabers next year? Uh, yeah, so that'll be that'll be so. interesting to follow. He he was uh he was definitely I was very impressed by him again and you know trying to watch him that World Juniors tournament last year I was impressed by what I read about him but uh, it was he was definitely one of the fresh breaths of air for me um, over on that day. Now that being said, I wish I could have been able to make it to some more of the practices to watch these guys play in more than just a three on three setting where you can kind of just really pay attention to one player at a time but uh it was it was very cool to go there and watch the game there was a you know small arena you know about 1200 seats up there in the key bank rink and in, in the harbor center and uh it was pretty cool we were sitting right next to uh sabers um had a little little barricade of a velvet rope and i'm walking up uh in between a game that they're having like a five minute break so i decided to go use the restroom and I'm walking up the bleachers and I look in that little box area. And who's sitting there? Terry Pagula. And I uh, look at him. And as soon as he looks at me, he takes a bite out of a donut and we made eye contact. It was about the most <laughs> awkward thing that's ever happened to me in the last night. <laughs> so, you know, I had that moment going for me. I've always visualized what, what, what would I say to Terry Pagula if I got close enough to say something to him. But uh, I couldn't get anything out of my mouth. Just and his mouth is full so that was pretty cool um i got uh, ha- uh coach housley uh phil housley was standing right next to me at the end and gabe go i go gabe my girlfriend i said gabe hey uh that's phil housley our new coach and she goes oh you're gonna go say something to him i go what can i even say to him he's a hall of famer he's the fourth most points at defensive defenseman history in the nhl what what can i say to him and i just walked away (laughs) uh but it was it was a lot of fun i'm definitely going to try to make more of it next year um it was a good time awesome awesome yeah i'm 
like I said before, very jealous you're able to make that. And I think you started to touch on it, but um, talking about not taking too much away from a three-on-three tourney where, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not the normal five-on-five situation. It's very much an arcadey type of situation. You can get a feel for some players and, I, yeah. I've seen people making huge generalizations now based on that, like re-ranking the prospect pool based on how these players performed in the three-on-three tournament. But I think uh, I think it's important to watch, important to take some things away from, but also to not put too much stock in it. Yeah, definitely. And we were uh, ta- Mark and I were talking uh, before we started the show today, and I was. Uh, touching up on how impressed I was with bashing at this tournament and Mark and I was saying you know a three on three Mark said you know on a three on three tournament you wouldn't expect fashion to be one of the standouts and I said yeah but he he was in on every play and you know that's actually you, you wanted you already know he's a big strong guy that could position himself but he skated well he wasn't slow by any means and uh that's why I was so uh, impressed by him the entire time is just that his his whole game was really solid so hopefully he can keep on picking up from where he's at he i believe he's at the age of 22 now and uh i actually heard that he was rooming with uh casey middlestat who's going to minnesota where uh where hudson fashion played his co- collegiate career at and uh so I'm sure those two have got along pretty well, and I'm sure he has had some good words of encouragement and some good information about the University of Minnesota for a young man like Casey Millstadt. Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, somebody that's gone in that direction and fashing was not quite as highly touted of a of a player as Middlestat, but a, a pretty highly touted player himself, and has taken the path from from going to the University of Minnesota to making it to the NHL. He doesn't have a solidified spot yet. But with Fashing, he kind of reminds me of, you hear in fantasy football all the time, the post-hype sleeper where like a a hot shot young player that came onto the scene, maybe did very well for a year or two, maybe struggled with injuries or something, and you think people have kind of soured on him. And that's what happened with Fashing with his season last year, struggling with injuries people forget that he made the roster coming out of camp last year and how much hype there was surrounding him uh the year prior and and that off season so i think there's certainly like you said there's a spot there for fashing to win in the top nine and he very well could win it i do want to talk later in the podcast that i think they should be bringing in another vet to be competing for that spot as well but the fact that fashing Fashing looked quite good in a situation where you maybe wouldn't expect him to look as good as he looked is is very promising. Yeah. So, um, Mark, I got to ask you, bud. Um, what do you think about where we uh, we? I've been. Uh, I thought we had a pretty good steal on middle stat eight. What do you think about how the draft went down? Uh, what did you uh, What did you like about it? Was there anyone else on the board that you could have seen the Sabers going with at eight, or do you think they uh, hit right where they needed to? Middle stat was exactly who I wanted. I I didn't think he was going to be available there, and when he fell, I was hoping, please don't screw this up. That's who I'd like, and they and they went with him. I think 
he he had among the highest upsides of any player in this draft, and I, I really like drafting for upside, especially at that mm-hmm. point, eighth overall. Um, and he's one of the few guys in this draft that really has true first-line upside. Now, does he hit it? I don't know. Uh, I think the skills there, there's, there, there's obviously a lot to go from here to making it to the NHL and being a bona fide top six player. But um, I loved kind of going for the home run there. And uh, it's a it's a long road from Minnesota from the Minnesota high school ranks to the NHL. And I know that him not being able to put a him not being able to do a push up at the or a pull up at the combine hurt him probably in the eyes of some. But there's there's a lot of projection there. And when we've seen guys fall for this reason before, you know maybe that that may have been a reason why Sam Bennett went where he did. I know he was in that that top four group with Reinhardt, Dreisaitl, and Ekblad, and Bennett had similar struggles to Middlestad at the Combine. Um, but you look at how he showed out. These are 18-year-old kids, and they're at the time in their lives when they're growing the fastest and they're going to be putting on the most weight and probably gaining the most strength. So I, I, I loved the pick there. I liked what they did overall. I thought the first three picks were very good. Uh, I think that... Davidson or Davidson, I've heard it pronounced both ways. I'm not sure what is the actual preferred pronunciation, but that could turn out to be an Asplund-type pick. It seems like uh, mm-hmm. a safer pick, but he has some offensive upside too, and it reminds me a lot of, of what people were saying about Asplund when they picked him. And then Lukanen we already talked about. So those three picks, I think, have quite good chances to all be NHLers. At some point, and I love the upside specifically with the middle stat and Lukanen picks. Now, with the rest of the draft, uh, we're gonna have to trust in the scouts, I guess. I think uh, the Laxinen pick, I, I heard he he wasn't that impressive at the development camp, and looked like there's a, there's a lot of a lot of development needed there. They, people said he had, he's a nice skating stride, but a lot of those other elements of his game need work. Um, then Bryson. I don't know a ton about either. Weissbach seems like a pretty interesting pick, just a small, crafty, speedy guy with skill, and I like taking shots at those types of guys later in the draft. So, um, But I think the, the top three picks are what, what's going to make or break this draft. What were, what were your impressions? I, uh, I felt the same way. I, I uh, tried to keen up on Davidson a little bit. He, he did see pretty, seem pretty responsible out there on the tournament. Um. You know, that being said, it is three and three. But uh, he did seem responsible. He's never really caught too far out of position from what I saw. So uh, I, that's going to be a guy that takes a little more time. Um, now the big buzz is ever, ever since the since that tournament finished yesterday and they saw Middlestat weaving in and out of people and picking pockets on the net and um, using uh, – really just kind of his vision is was very impressive of get, just dishing the puck out finishing and getting to the right place at the right time and making sure of it uh there there was a lot of talk and i was sitting there talking to people and they, a lot of people wanted to say right after well he's going to have a one-year career in college and i you know i think it's too early to tell on that i think if Middlestat could be go out and be a dominating player for the majority of the season in Minnesota. I think there's a very good chance of that. But uh, 
Well, we'll have to wait and see. I, uh, I'm, I'm definitely, I definitely got a lot more. I was excited with the pick. I like, I liked going there and uh, having a player of his caliber still on the, still on the board at eight. I think you take, I think you take that pick and, and hope it works well. But you don't want to rush him or anything. That'd be the absolute worst thing for him. But uh, if, uh, if, if it hits it. If he uh, goes to Minnesota and is dominant, I I wouldn't rule it out that he could be uh, playing in Rochester or Buffalo next year. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of it will be up to him too. I I wouldn't be surprised if the Sabres want to sign him sooner rather than later. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't also wouldn't be surprised if he if he looking at that and it's and he doesn't have a guaranteed spot with the team. He doesn't think I for sure can go out and win a spot with Buffalo probably going back to school for a year for that second year for a sophomore year would be would be more appealing but you also never know if you if he wants to hit his payday sooner coming signing and assuming he he gets at least nine games with the sabers i I believe he's of the age where his second year still would be in that um elc slide if he doesn't play 10 or more games um but you would be a year closer to your payday in that scenario so but going back home to, to Minnesota and being close to a lot of your, your friends and family and everything and being he'd, – he'd probably be, assuming he goes on the trajectory that we're thinking he will, he'd probably be a favorite for the Hobie Baker in his sophomore year or among the favorites for the Hobie Baker that year. Uh, so, yeah, that'll be an interesting, interesting development to watch, and it's always fun having some horses in the race in college hockey. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember watching uh... – Nathan Gerby at Boston College. That was always fun. <laughs> but uh, anyways, um, another one one pick that I thought what would have for us, and this is the last thing I'd like to hit on the draft, is uh, one pick that I really could have saw as making, but it would have been a, re- a reach for sure. But there's a lot of hype around this kid right now in uh, Toronto is Timothy Lidgerdrin. Grin, I'm sorry, cannot pronounce. Grin, uh, yeah. Ledger Grin. Uh, I'm just gonna keep on butchering names on here. But they just signed him actually to an entry level deal yeah, today. I don't know if you saw that. Yes, I did, and uh, I uh, there's a lot of good reports going out there. Three year entry uh, entry level deal, and uh, Ledger Grin is uh, gonna is it, it, they're making him sound like he's gonna be a really good prospect. Uh, a guy that could uh, join the rush and uh, make a uh, make some moves. Hopefully, uh, hopefully he you know takes a while to develop, so we don't have to listen and the Toronto guys talk about him for all the time for all this time. Uh, yeah, how how fitting would that be that Toronto manages to make the playoffs and they pick somebody who is highly touted because he, he he was touted as being a top five pick at one point. Mm-hmm. And they get him at that point, and then he becomes a star. That would just be be the perfect slap in the face for Buffalo fans and how we've been compared to Toronto throughout this entire rebuild. But, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he develops. He seems to be the type of defenseman that's playing a more and more prominent role in the league. And if you look at the way – if you look at the acquisitions the Sabres have made on, on defense, it's – if you look at, at Beaulieu, kind of a, a, a skating offense-first type of guy, 
and Teepin is kind of in that mold as well. You know, putting a premium on skating and being able to, to move the puck and jump up into the rush that maybe he could be the answer to some of the woes on that Toronto defense. Cause I think that, that really is their Achilles heel right now. And, uh, not that their defense is, is among the worst in the league, but it's if they have a weakness, that's certainly it. Yeah. Um, now um, I would like to uh, bring up the one of the big things that we uh, haven't talked about yet and uh, maybe some of the biggest news so far is um, the trade with Minnesota. Uh, the Sabres send out. Tyler Ennis and Marcus Foligno in return they get Marco Scandella and Jason Pommelville makes his return to Buffalo. Mark uh, what was your first impressions on this trade and uh, I'm sure we could dive right into this because it's, um, it's a pretty big move I think it's a good hockey trade uh, for both teams. I know a lot of people out of Minnesota supposedly are pretty upset about it but uh, it's a trade that was necessary for them in my opinion. Uh, what do you think about it? I love it from the Sabres' perspective, and I purposely didn't say Scandella's name when I was talking about the defense before because I didn't yeah. want to jump yeah, the gun necessarily. But that's probably a good transition to, to talk about it now because I figured this would be one of our one of our more lengthy conversations probably. But, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I love it from a Sabres' perspective. Really, if you look at going from Ennis to Pominville, they both have two years left in their deal this year and next year. Uh, Pominville is more expensive at a $5.6 million cap hit per year. But really where that hurts is next year. And if you look at both of them, if you look at buying out one of those two guys, Pominville would cost $400,000 more per year to buy out. So it's not a yeah. prohibitive cost whatsoever um, if it ends up coming to that, if they end up having to buy out Pominville at the end of this year. Um, and then Marcus Foligno, I talked about not wanting to pay him, I think, what he's going to end up commanding in restricted free agency. I thought he's a guy that has a replaceable skill set, and when you have a core like the Sabres have, you have to avoid paying too much to complimentary guys like that. Um, so I, I loved that Felino was really the centerpiece on our end, not that I'm not going to miss him. Um, and then Scandella, I think, is, is a, a really nice target. It's kind of a buy-low situation where he's coming off a – uh, not a bad year, but a tougher year, but a, a guy who's shown he can play at a high level in the past. Not overly expensive. Um, and I think I think he really can see a resurgence. I I don't know what your thoughts are, if you think he's penciled in next to Ristolainen or if he's going to fit in elsewhere in the lineup. That's probably where we want to take this conversation to next. But what were what were your impressions? My Well, my impressions were is the – one of the first things I would have brought up was the $400,000 cap buyout that was going to cost more than Ennis, which is literally not much at all. So if uh, Palmville doesn't have a good year and things start getting really uh, tight with the cap next year, that we have that option. Um, getting rid of Tyler Ennis' salary, salary, I think, was uh, the last piece of uh, – making that trade happen. I think Felino, like you said, Felino being the centerpiece for Minnesota to take in, uh, well, if we're taking Jason Pominville's salary with that, you're going to take a, uh, Tyler Ennis's. So we lose some, we gain some money on the cap, but we're not taking in 
much more than uh, much more than about a million bucks more on the cap to bring Palmville in over Ennis, and uh, I think it'll be that's a, that's a move that could be good, beneficial for Tyler Ennis as well. Um, it, there's a lot of question marks with his career and where he's been, and I appreciate everything he's done for the Sabres organization, but. Um, He's he's definitely had some uh, injuries and has not been the same player and he's kind of that player that doesn't have a lot of structure to his game, so I'm I'm happy to get rid of him and I hope I wish him the best in Minnesota. I know his best friend in the world is uh, Jared Spurgeon, so maybe that elevates his uh, game in the locker room. Maybe I don't know. Um, but Scandella is the the centerpiece of this trade, and when this trade happened, all you saw on Twitter was, "Oh, Jason Pominville's back! Pominville's back! Pominville's back!" Hey, this guy right here, me, was the biggest Jason Pominville fan around, and in, in the early '05-'06 uh, days, and uh, waiting for him to come up, and when he finally came up, and he was not a uh, a giant name, but a guy you kept on hearing about and hearing about, and he just uh, he he worked hard in this league. I love Pominville, but the centerpiece for this trade is Marco Scandella, and any serious Sabres fan knows that. That being said, I immediately hope that he can be playing on the left hand side of Rasmus Ristolainen. This will free up Ristolainen's game because Scandella is such a re- responsible defensive guy who. Uh, can move the puck well, but he can stay home for you while Ristolainen could uh, skate around and get open and have more chances to score goals and get more assists and join the offense in the rush. Exactly what we need. So I think it's a my hat's off to Jason Botterill for making this trade. You're tearing down some of your old stuff, uh, old old players, and bringing in to substitute to make this team better defensively, which we needed to do. And, uh, I mean, Ennis and Foligno love both those players, but are they key to our success? Absolutely not. And I think Ristolina needs a reliable partner on defense. I'm not sure that – I hope. I sure hope it's Scandella. Last year we thought it would be um, – um, the Kulikov from Kulikov. I'm getting yeah. getting brain fried here, but uh, <laughs> it's very hot in the second story apartment. Um, but uh, we thought Kulikov would be the guy for Ristolainen last year. Well, it absolutely was nowhere near where we wanted it, and he got hurt. Hopefully, this is the answer. Uh, this, th- I think this is something that the Sabres desperately need to be to get into the next level of uh, hockey teams, and I think if Ristolainen can be unleashed, that it could be a very good thing for the Buffalo Sabres. Yeah, I agree. That's where I've got him penciled in as well. I've seen some people trying to argue, well, you know, maybe McCabe takes another leap, and McCabe could be Ristolainen's partner, and then you know, maybe Scandella could be a nice stabilizing influence for Bogosian, but I think Scandella next to Ristolainen probably makes the most sense um, and then you can argue about the bottom two pairings, who plays who plays better with uh, with Bogosian and with Antipin because they're going to be the, the other two right side guys. And then 
I'm thinking McCabe with Antipin and, and then Bolu with Bogosian, but um, I can see the arguments in in the other direction as well. Uh, from a Minnesota perspective, I wanted to make sure to, to, to get this in there, but I think this rationale made sense. This is how Minnesota fans were trying to explain it. You know, they thought the value is definitely tilted in favor of the Sabres, and I think anybody looking at this deal rationally agrees. That's why you and I both like it so much and we're so heavily in favor of it. But I think what Minnesota wanted to do was, you know, rather than maybe taking more value in a trade like this in terms of futures, so guys that weren't going to contribute this year, they wanted to get back guys that could maybe help them make another run this upcoming year. Um, and Felino can can fill a role, fills a hole on the roster, and Ennis, they hope, can fill a role, and he's cheaper than Pominville, so that was obviously a big motivation to get that extra million dollars in cap space. But Buffalo definitely got the better value end of the deal, I agree. Hats off to Bottrell, and uh, I really like what he's done on the cheap this offseason, really. And upgrading the defense taking on some guys with upside, and I think you can have this year to evaluate what you have in, in Bolu and Antipin, see if Scandella really can become that rock-solid partner for Ristolainen, and then going into next offseason, you could make a, a far bigger move for another defenseman if if those guys don't pan out. But um, I've really, like you said, hats off to, to Bottrell. Yeah, and Scandella is uh, $4 million in uh, a year in cap hit and salary and uh for the next two years i do believe which is uh very good numbers with where the cap is now and how defensemen are getting paid in open markets so i'm uh i'm all for it i hope you know i hope that scandela comes out and is uh him and ristolani can really gel together and we could have our top two guys and Hopefully he likes it enough that we could. Uh, he plays well enough, and he likes it here in Buffalo enough, and likes playing with Rasmus, that uh, we could have those guys here for a long time together. Yeah, yeah, it'll be it'll be fun to watch. I'm definitely more excited about the defense coming into this year than I have been in a while. Cautiously optimistic because <laughs> there's a lot that still can go wrong. Yeah, uh, but I, I I am very glad that. We talked about this in our podcast prior to the draft and prior to free agency, but I didn't want Alex Nylander or the eighth overall pick being dangled out there for a defenseman because I really thought there were so many question marks coming off of just the horrific Bilesma system and Bogosian really being destroyed by that system. And I know part of it was of his doing. I don't want to excuse him entirely, but you, you hope he can find himself under Housley, under a new system, and you have some other younger guys, and you can see what kind of trajectory Gooley develops at this season and whether he comes in and makes an impact. So I'm glad that they didn't blow their, their most valuable assets or their most valuable expendable assets to, to get a defenseman because you can always do that next year. And this yeah. year they're not winning a cup, so let's let's really have an evaluation year on this defense, and then you can – you can make much more rational decisions next off season. Absolutely, um, it's I I like what I like what of um, Botterell has done for this team, and uh, I like that it's not any flashy uh, giant move like a Tim Murray type move that you might see. Um, I'm not 
trying to knock Murray at all, but it's uh these have been nice little moves that they're around for Bully U. Uh and this in the the Scandella the Scandella Palmville trade is something that we're gonna have to evaluate, but it's something that you could be very excited for and be very optimistic for, uh, Marco Scandella. And uh, still being able to bring in Antipin too. I mean, we have a lot of valuation to do with these guys, but I would, I would, I'd bet, I'd bet the house on the fact that the defense is going to be better than it has been in the last three years. Yeah, yeah, definitely an easy bet to make. I think uh, if you're getting even odds, uh, because. Yeah, I don't think all those guys are going to come here and immediately be perfect fits. You know, I don't think Antipin's going to all of a sudden look like a top four defenseman and Bolu's going to be a bona fide top four guy and Bogosian's going to find himself again. You know, I'm not expecting all those things to happen, but I think you can expect with reasonable confidence that at least one of those things will happen. And even if one of those things happens, I think this defense is a lot better than it has been. So uh, it'll be fun to watch. It's it's like I said, the the most excited I've been about the defense in a while. Uh, and not that that's saying a, a ton, but uh, it it feels good to to not have to worry about it or to not have to count on Gooley coming in and just having an incredible camp and being able to lock down a top four spot, which looked like the boat they were in prior. Uh, so mm-hmm. um, we also should probably talk about the the free agent additions. I don't know if you had anything else about that trade. Uh, Do you have anything well, else on that, that end? That was my last. Uh, thing about that 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 Scandello coming in really solidifies Gooley in Rochester this season which I think is a good thing uh he's he's the kid has a lot of ski, speed he can he can be offensive we've seen that in the Western Hockey League this uh, last year of all the highlights of him uh going into zones and beating goaltenders one-on-one and being good in the ECA I mean the WHL uh, is it one thing, but he's still young, 19, 20 years old, and he, it takes defensive defensive players to a long time generally to uh, come up and before they're ready. Their process is a lot, lot you know, not as long as a goaltender, but uh, it's not not every guy's wrist aligning that's coming out are, you know, a a a cheering for Arizona. Uh, that's going to come out and play 40 games for you right away. It's it's not every guy's like that, and I think Gooley's put on some weight. It's the first time that he's been over 200 pounds in his life, um, but right now. But he's also uh, he also can go down to Rochester and really start to learn the game a little bit more. And by next year, he'll be ready to come up, I believe. Definitely, and. If he goes down there and he's so obviously head and shoulders above the AHL, he's just dominating at will, they can find a spot for him in the lineup. So I think this is a great, great situation where there's not a ton of pressure on him coming into camp. And the ideal situation is he goes down to Rochester to start the year and progresses and plays so well that he can make an impact for this team midseason. It can come in and it can be a big addition. And you know defensemen get hurt throughout the year, too. It's not like we're going to be playing with those top six the whole year. So mm-hmm. there will be games to be had there. Another thing I, I really liked that they that uh, that Bottrell did was the defensive depth looks very good because you've got the six that we were just talking about. 
You've got Georges, Falk, Fadoon, Tennyson, um, and Gooley, and Casey Nelson, too. So, I mean, you're going 10 or 11 deep with guys I think you could feel reasonably comfortable throwing to the Wolves at the NHL level, whereas in the past several years it's felt like beyond your top eight or nine, what do you have? You're you're throwing Brady Austin out there, Eric Bergdorfer out there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's um, with with uh, those signings, it's really going to benefit Rochester, Rochester this year as long as everything goes to plan. Um, there, I think the people of Rochester and the the guys that own season tickets to go see the Amherst are going to be for in for a real treat this year, especially if we can bring back, especially if we bring back Robin Leonard and give Olmark another year down in Rochester. Yeah, they've got to be excited about the additions because that defense looks like it's going to be pretty good, and you've got the excitement of Gooley. And then I still think there's an addition or two coming up front. Um, we'll probably talk about that next. But the the forward core looks pretty good, too, and you've got to expect another year, another leap forward for Nylander, and then you'll probably mm-hmm. have, I would expect, two of that fashing Bailey Baptiste uh, trio to be down in Rochester to start the year. I think probably there's, as of now, one spot for the three of those guys. Um, but that team looks like it's going to be pretty good. Some some veteran additions to Seth Griffith I thought was a great free agent signing. Um, okay. Porter as well, you know, another another old friend of ours. Not yeah. quite as, you know, not quite as big of a name as, uh, as Pominville, but Porter was a nice soldier during the the Ron Rolston years, and he's his last a, game with the Sabers. He scored in Pommelville's last game of the Sabers. Porter scored two goals. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah, <laughs> just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I th- I think like you said, Rochester fans should be excited, and they deserve to have a quality team. And I really liked Sexton's comments about what he expects out of Rochester and saying this is one of the one of the elite franchises of the AHL, one of the storied franchises of the AHL, and we are fully committed to making this a good team and based on the model in Pittsburgh, you know, it's really that's what I think they're trying to replicate here, but having a strong organization as a whole, including your AHL team is is so important to that. So I thought it was really nice to see commitment, strong commitment in terms of language from them and then it looks like their actions have have carried carried through on those words. Um, uh, another one year we brought uh, on a one year one million dollar deal. Uh, we brought in Benoit Pouliot. Uh, what what do you see of in that uh, accusation, Mark? I really really liked that signing as well. Um, I think yeah, one point one five million dollars. There's no risk here essentially. I mean, even if he ends up being your 13th forward, that's a perfectly fair salary to be paying for for somebody like that. But he had a down year, ended up getting bought out, and he's bounced around a bit. Really the biggest issue I've seen people have with him is taking inopportune penalties in the offensive zone um, and being inconsistent offensively. But he, he has shown some offensive touch, and I was impressed with him uh, down the stretch last year. I watched the Oilers more. You know, everybody's getting McDavid fever. But he's a presence. He's big. He's a good skater. Um, 
I'm not expecting him to go out and score 20 goals this year, but I think you can, without a doubt, expect him to score 10 to 15 goals. And for $1.15 million, I think that's a, that's a nice little no-risk addition to your top nine. What was your opinion? Well, I love the numbers, like you said, with 1.15 uh, mil on Puglia. And I, the big thing with me is he is a good skater. He he could he could uh, keep up with any centerman on this roster almost, and uh, he he could uh, he could he could play really anywhere in this lineup, uh, depending on his gameplay. So I'm uh, I'm excited for it. Low risk, one year deal. Um, we didn't throw a bunch of stupid money at him like Edmonton did when they signed him a couple years back. He he did play with Connor McDavid for. Uh, you know, a, a lot of games. I don't know the exact number offhand, but he played with him quite a bit, and uh, I'm excited to see what he has to bring. I think it's a it's a good death signing for our big club. And it is unfortunate. It looks like he's going to be relied upon as probably a top six guy. You know, probably on one of those top two lines as things stand now. But that's yeah, probably so. why he was willing to make the leap and willing to take. I'm sure less than what he could have been offered elsewhere to go in and think I'm probably going to be playing on Jack Eichel or Ryan O'Reilly's left wing, and that's got to be good for me to have a season with one of those two guys and be able to go next year and and get a payday. So um, I liked that a lot. Uh, The Josephson signing, too, I thought was a nice depth signing. I don't think he's a Mm -hmm. world changer whatsoever, but – Anything to have guys like that that aren't aren't huge negatives like uh like Nick Delorier types in your lineup every night I think is is a smart signing for seven hundred thousand dollars. I'd like to see another one or two guys like that brought in guys that are competent NHLers and that can hopefully push Delorier down to the minors. You have one of these new signings sitting in the press box, but um, what, I like that what, one too. What uh, what what guys do you have uh in mind for a signing like that? I know there's been a lot of uh, you know, everyone that wants to talk hockey wants to talk. Uh, guys like Yammer Yager and Thomas Vanek, which I don't see the Sabers making any moves like that. Um, what 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 names uh come to mind for you? Well, first I'd like, I would like a guy who I think can compete for a top nine spot. So mm-hmm. those, have been, those, those have been the guys I've been tracking a little bit more. Possibly my favorite name out there is Daniel Winnick, who yes. was with the Capitals last year. He's bounced around. Uh, you know, He's been traded, I think. He was traded at like three consecutive deadlines or something like that. Uh, but just a nice, a nice bottom six guy, can play center and wing, uh, pretty decent in terms of advanced stats. Uh I'm not sure how expensive he would be, but I got to think I'm looking at guys that I think would be in maybe the $1.5 million range. Anything above that, I think it starts to make things more difficult with the cap, just looking at uh, with the uncertainty of what Robin Leonard's going to end up getting in arbitration or if the Sabres settle it before he goes to arbitration. Uh, but he's he he's probably my number one target of those types of guys. Vanek was kind of up there on my list, but I think he's going to ultimately be a little bit too expensive for the type of guy I'm mm-hmm. looking for. And uh, I think he will be able to get more from some other team. Um, 
I would be interested too. I'm going to say another old name, but Drew Stafford. I don't know what the market looks like for him at all. He's been making four million dollars a year, or whatever it's been, um, and I know his market's nothing close to that. But if if his price ends up coming down in that one point five million dollar range, I think that would be a really nice signing. So I mean, he he's played both the right and left side. I think if you're not counting on him to be one of your top six wingers, I think that can be a very good spot for him. He's, you know, he's got size. He can skate. He's pretty responsible. Um, I know he's he's a classic scapegoat for a lot of Sabres fans. So a lot of people, when they if they hear his name, they instantly recoil. Um, Yuri Hoodler is another guy I'd be interested in. I'm not yeah. sure where his price will be either, but he's just two years removed from I believe a 60 point season. And uh, that could be another Pouliot-type low-risk signing where he sees, yeah, I, I can come in and win a spot next to one of these, one of these elite centers, and and have a 40, 50-point season or something, and go out and get paid next year. Um, I'm trying to think of anybody else. That's those um, are probably my favorites as of now. Yeah, I mean, I have a few. I've had a few uh, that I've thought of too. Uh, Parental is one that I'm kind of in- intrigued with. Uh, Really, only a right winger, but uh, a guy that could uh, come in and you know be a in and out of the lineup kind of guy as long as the money is right. Yeah, yeah, that that could be a nice uh, a nice depth signing uh, type of move. You know, a guy that maybe could end up being your thirteenth forward. But um, yeah, I wouldn't mind that at all. Another guy uh, was Teddy Purcell. Yep. Could be a possibility. Somebody that's performed, you know, maybe you can get him in here, eight hundred thousand dollars or something, with a real spot to, or with a real chance to to win a spot in this lineup. Um, I just pulled up the the list. See, if there's anybody that I had thought about, but those are probably my my top choices as of now. But there are a lot yeah. of guys out there. There there are a lot of players out there that are more valuable than Nick Delorier, if we're talking about guys that can like compete for the 12th forward spot um, and hopefully push him to the minors. So there could be 20 different choices out there for that. I would love to see at least one addition like that and then one guy that I think can compete for the top nine. And maybe they end up waiting until Leonard's arbitration hearing before this. I'm sure multiple of these guys are still going to be out there because there always are dominoes that haven't fallen yet because they're it's it's really one big game of musical chairs and there are always a couple couple bona fide NHL players that are left standing out there so that'll be yeah. interesting to watch I'm now now here's where I'm on it where I'm at it mark is uh that we have um we have a couple spots open you know we're not sure exactly how this lineup's going to look at the start of the season but Bringing in a, a low-risk signing uh, on a one-year contract for around a million dollars is nothing I'll get upset about. But you got to think about the other way, too. Is like, do you want all your guys in Rochester right off the get-go, or do you want to bring in maybe two out of the three from the Bailey Baptiste fashion club group, grouping that we were talking about earlier? I mean... Uh, do you want? I mean, do you want to get younger and have these guys more exposed and ready for the NHL? Because they're going to need to be up here at some point. Because they're not going to be. I don't see all three those three guys being career AHL NHL guys. 
Well, I think I think what you want to do is you want to make it so that they need to knock down the door to win a spot. Mm-hmm. And All I don't right. think I don't think that's a, a bad situation to be in whatsoever. You're bringing in the, you'd be bringing in these guys on one-year deals. Um and if they don't make the if they don't make the the final four top 14 forwards, you can waive them and send them to Rochester and you get what is it a million dollars or whatever is exempt from the cap. And Pagula's not going to care about signing these guys to one-way deals and paying them that money to be in the minors. Uh, but, I mean, more realistically, they would end up being the extra forwards. And I wouldn't mind having some guy that they signed, you know, some Drew Stafford type or, you know, whoever it may be sitting in the press box because Nick Baptiste and Hudson Fashing went crazy in training camp and really showed they need to be in this lineup and they make this team better by being there. But I think we got into a lot of trouble under Tim Murray of gifting spots to young players and by not by not making them force the issue to get to the NHL. A ton of other issues too. That wasn't that wasn't top five probably. But I think you've got these contract slots to use and I'd much rather I'd much rather have the problem of having to send Bailey Baptiste fashing all of them to Rochester rather than having to gift guys spots that aren't ready. So that's where I am on it. That's an interesting point. I uh, I never really thought about it that way. So it's good to, it's good to look at both sides of every situation and every argument, in my opinion. And I, you know, I I do want to see these guys, some of these young guys, really push for a spot and make it. But like you said, and I'm I've I'm heard uh, other guys in the Sabres organization say before, uh, you know, nothing is earned, nothing is just given here. You know, you have to earn it, and uh, that's the way it should be. So good point, Mark. Yeah, we'll um, see if we'll see if Bottrell thinks the same way or not. I think you even could see them waiting until closer to training camp and there's there always are still guys out there and, and and end up going on on professional tryouts and you could see a guy like guys like that brought in I know Christopher Stieg was was one of those guys that ended up going on a PTO and got a contract last year I believe or I think two years ago definitely he went that route but you you could do it that way too so you're not committing a contract at this point um, but you go yeah. and you see what what Bailey and Baptiste and Fashing and Rodriguez all look like in camp, and then you can can go from there. Uh, but that that pool of players will be far smaller than it is now. So uh, be interesting to monitor. And I know you and I talked about Gianta prior to the show. Uh, I don't th- we we didn't haven't talked about it on the podcast yet, but uh, there was the report that the door isn't completely closed on him coming back, but it's not looking good what what are your opinions on that whole situation well my uh my first my first opinion is uh, not really opinion it's more fact absolute fact that being uh Gianta played all 82 games last year he had 15 goals 20 assists uh 30 so 35 points and it was minus 11 there's times that he looked like he did not miss a step in his game uh 38 years old now uh, average ice time for a game would be it was around 16 minutes uh, a game. So the guy the guy still has game left. But when I think of Brian Giatta, I think about these last couple years and 
him wearing the C and him hitting his thousandth career game last year, which was uh, you know, a pretty cool thing to watch and honored. But uh, I think he's huge for you know some of the young guys in this lineup the C and you know he's won a cup before. But look at all the locker room problems last year. Your captain. Where was he during all those? Where, you know, with players openly speaking out on each other and the coach, where was Gianta? I didn't, I didn't hear Gianta speak up about that once before. I I would have no problem bringing Brian Gianta back as a death player in this team on a third or fourth line role. Uh, maybe a little penalty on the second penalty killing unit. I have no problem with that. But my problem would be, I don't want I I want to move on from him on the C. I think I think it's time for someone else to wear it. Yeah, yeah, I agree and I wonder maybe that could be a point of contention. I doubt that that probably came up in their discussions, but I do think it is the new era and I think it and this is where most Sabres fans are, I think at this point is that should be going to Eichel. It's his team. Let's move from there. But you pointed out Gianta's stats, and, and we all saw it last year. Gianta was valuable, and I think he makes the team better. The question is, I what I'm assuming is that he, he may be demanding more than that $1.5 I I know I'm using that as just kind of an arbitrary cutoff, but I think anything more than that, and you're starting to um, make the cap potentially a little more dicey. If Leonard gets closer to $5 million than $4 million, um, you never know what kind of injuries hit too. You want you want some buffer there, and I think a lot of people aren't taking into account Eichel and Reinhardt's bonuses, which are like five million dollars total. So you don't want to be you don't want to use up all your available cap space now, and then they hit those bonuses, and you've got to carry those into next year when the cap's going to be an even bigger issue. Uh, yeah. So I would say that's probably a, a bigger thing. And he was making an average of four point two five million a year over this most recent contract, which we all agreed was overpayment when he got it, but it was really to come and be the captain through those tough years. Uh, so maybe he's not willing to, to play for that. He's made a lot of money over his career, and he obviously still likes playing, but maybe he doesn't want to play for just $1.5 or or whatever it may be. So uh, I won't be crying or anything if he doesn't come back, but I do think that at, at the right price – he makes a lot of sense, and he fits, and he makes the team better. Yeah, I, uh, I he he would make the team better, but I mean, what what's the what's the limit you you would put on giving him? Like, what is the absolute most you'll give him to come back for a one year deal? I think no more than two million dollars. I think that's that's where I start to get a little bit concerned about how everything will will work out with the cap. Yeah. So. Okay. All right. Just uh, you know, curious. Um, the one big uh, the one big uh contract that everyone wants to be talking about lately is uh, Jack Eichel's contract and Tim uh, not Tim Murray. I'm sorry, Jason Botterell. Jason Botterell said it is the number one concern as of now is signing Jason Pomerville to his new contract. I mean, oh my gosh. Uh, Jack Eichel to his new contract. Uh, we just saw the monster deal that, sh- you know, maybe set the bar for Eichel with uh, 
Connor McDavid's eight-year, $100 million contract. Uh, he's making a boatload of money, and rightfully so, Connor McDavid deserves that money. Um, most fans and myself of what I'm reading all want that eight-year deal for Jack Eichel. What do you think about that, Mark? Yeah, I mean, that, that's what I want, too, I think. Uh, and we... We talked about this, I'm pretty sure, at length in our in our prior podcast, if I remember correctly. It's been a topic we've touched on, I think, for a lot of the year. But yeah, I I don't think it was the most. It's it's about the most important uh, <laughs> move that we have to make, you know. Yep, yep. And I Eichel's just not one of those guys you fool around with bridge contracts with. Yeah. You just you don't. Uh, you. You pay the guy's market value. Now, his market value I don't think is $12.5 million a year like what McDavid got, but I think you are pushing probably that $10 million area, and I think I'm I'm willing to do that. <laughs> I think uh, I think somewhere in that, that 9.5 to $10 million range is more than fair on Eichel's side, um, and I think he would probably like to do it before playing this year. You never know what can happen injury-wise, uh, which I think is why that's why he has motivation to get it done this year. Uh, but there also probably isn't a ton of motivation to give a, a hometown discount. I know the Sabres do have some leverage because he would just be a restricted free agent. But at the same time, just he's not a player you fool with. Probably one of the three most valuable players in the entire league if you're yeah. looking at McDavid, Eichel, and Matthews. Uh, if you're just looking at, at straight-up trade value, probably those three would have the most. You pay the guy and you move on. So is that about where you are too? Yeah, I uh, I think, uh, you know, about 9.5 to 10 is where I've been thinking. I've heard other people say, well, he's not worth 9.5. You know, eight, I, I'd be good for 8.5 or down, and I'd you you pay that you pay that nine and a half ten because he's gonna be signed on an eight year deal. We want that eight year deal. You're gonna have to pay for it. So exactly, yeah. You, you're buying out. Um, it would be three four. You're buying out four years of unrestricted free agency with an yeah. eight year deal. So you've got to take that into account. Whereas if you were you know doing a three year deal or something, he would still be a restricted free agent at the end of that contract. So if things I, would be different, asked, but if I asked you before the season started last year, hey, do you want to lock up Jack Eichel before till he's twenty nine right now, or you know be, before the season? Yeah, you want to you want to lock him up till he's long as you possibly can. Don't mess around with him. Give him a you know. Um, Marty Braun said on the radio uh, yesterday, I believe he wrote. Um, he said. You know, give him a, his eight-year deal, and as soon as you announce the eight-year deal, you give him. You have a jersey up there on a podium that you take, but you take the jersey out and it has the C on it. This is where we're investing our money. This is where our leadership and our team is built around Jack Eichel, and that got me feeling real good. It got me thinking that's exactly what we need. Uh, and you know, maybe you don't have to make that move right away with the captaincy, but uh, you can let go of the training camp after training camp, but uh, I think the captaincy is a, a big issue, and I think that it needs to be his as well as 
Ryan O'Reilly deserves it more probably as at this stage of their careers. It's Eichel's. Yep. Yeah, I agree. And it's not a huge issue in my mind. You know, I think ultimately the, the true leaders end up leading in the room and it doesn't, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter that much who has, who has the C, but I think it's a no brainer at this point. If you look at what's happened with all the other young players of Eichel's caliber and even not quite of Eichel's caliber this is what happens they become the face of the franchise the focal point of every opposing team that the guy that other teams have to game plan for that's your face that's the guy that you you give the C to and you move on and I don't know if they'll necessarily do it if and when they they lock him up this offseason you know maybe they want to draw it out a little more and you know make it look like it was a far tougher decision than it was or, or whatever out of respect for the other guys in the room. Um, but I don't know how much the guys in the room care about it either, really care about who's captain. I don't think it changes how you lead. Maybe it makes the questions coming from the media a little bit different, but I don't think Ryan O'Reilly would be sulking or anything as a result of not getting of not getting the captaincy. Just like I don't think if, if Eichel wasn't the captain, he'd be sulking either. So... It's something worth talking about, but not a, you know, not a game-changing issue in my opinion. Maybe something that some people focus on a little bit too much. Yeah. Um. Well, I. Get, getting uh yeah the most important thing is like Bottrell said the number one key right now is uh get that contract done and it seems like both sides are uh, been working away and been cooperating with each other by the sounds of it so we that's our uh that's our best our our next big thing uh before camp i hope it's signed before camp and uh and uh we could uh we don't have to worry about it and there'll be a lot of pressure off of jack he doesn't have to worry about his contract anymore it will be hey this is where i'm at this is what i'm doing and uh it's time to play hockey so yeah, I think um, it makes a ton of sense from from his perspective. I mean, a lot of times I'm surprised when these guys that have pending unrestricted free agency decide, decide to sign a contract and they don't go and look at what's out there. But as a restricted free agent, you don't have anywhere near, you know, you don't have a ton of leverage. Uh, so for him, I think it's a, it's a really nice situation to, just like you said, get it signed and not have to think about it and to know I have this big payday coming. And... There's so much security there in, in knowing that if you already get hurt, if some something some freak injury happens, you're still going to get paid. You know, you you are still going to get your giant payday. So I think I can certainly see why he's coming to the table. And it, this is one of those rare situations where I think both sides have a ton of motivation because you know this is all Sabres fans are going to be talking about if they don't get Eichel signed. So I think Pagula and the whole Sabres family, that's the last thing they want after all the all the tumult last year. So yeah. I think something will get done. I think it it makes too much sense from both sides. Yeah, it does. And it's uh I'm, we're you know, we're just all looking forward for, I, I am for one looking forward to seeing what that a, a absolute number comes down to and and how it goes. So I'm excited. Definitely. So, I'm trying to think what else what else is there to talk about? Um, I know we touched on Robin Leonard a bit, but we could probably discuss 
restricted free mm-hmm. agents. So first we can talk about the Johan Larson signing real quick. I liked this a, yeah. a whole lot. So two-year deal, $1.475 million cap hit for those two years. Thought fair price. I think nothing but upside from a Sabres perspective on that deal. He's still a restricted free agent at the end of that contract. So um, the Sabres will still have his rights there and hopefully be able to, if he's really locked up a spot, uh, be able to, to get him under an, uh, another contract. Uh, what were your opinions on that? I know I know you're a Larson guy. Yeah, I, well, I like Larson. I don't think his role is much more than we already know. I think, uh, you know, he's a third-line center. He uh, isn't a top. He isn't in a top. Si- he isn't a top six forward, but he's a uh, he's a guy that can uh, do a lot of um, good things for your team and be responsible and score. You know, fifteen, twenty goals maybe a year if on a good year. So, I think the 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 money made sense for uh, his contract, and uh, he's a guy that. I really like Aran on this team. I like watching him play. He works hard. He has a little grit to his game, and he can. He's you know he he can score and uh, do good, nice things. But at the same time, there's a lot of guys in the league like that. And you know he if I wouldn't lose sleep on if he were to you know not be able to sign his next contract at the Sabers either. Yeah, I bet that's a pretty likely um, likely scenario. And it seems like this is the perfect contract to get a guy like this locked up. But I could see, assuming assuming he, he is a legit third-line center by the end of that contract, I think there's still some question marks out there, um, both because of the injury and he hasn't really put up any offensive significance at the NHL level. And even him getting into that, like, double-digit goal territory I think would make him due for quite a nice raise and probably with all the raises we're talking about about paying Eichel 9.5 to 10 million dollars a year you're gonna have to make some tough decisions on guys like that so I think that's a pretty likely scenario after this after this two-year period but um, I was happy with that one I'm hoping that they can get Gergensen's locked up to a similar deal um, mm-hmm. He ended up not electing arbitration despite being eligible for it, I think, because he knew he's coming off a season where couldn't really find a consistent spot in the lineup. His offensive production is down, uh, so he doesn't have a ton of leverage in this situation. I I know we talked about we wouldn't be surprised if he co- just comes back on a one-year deal and uh, and tries to get a bigger payday next year. Hopefully maybe he ends up next to Eichel or something. I know some people have him penciled in on that left wing. Uh, what are your opinions on Gergensen's? Uh, well, guy that it's a lot of fun. I think he's a, uh, you know, I as a fan of the game and uh, you know letting your emotions get into it. I love a guy like Zygmunt Gergensen. You know, he's at the he, he always takes pictures of fans at the Bills games. You can see those online and. Uh, He's a great. He's a good player. He's, he's, but he's kind of like the same things with Larson. I think he's, you know, he's a, uh, he's a great player. I think he's at his best when he plays with less structure in his game, kind of like the role he played with Ted Nolan, and I think that might have hurt him, that role that he played with Ted Nolan, uh, 
for that year and then playing in the Olympics with him as well is uh, just being relied on by himself and he's he hasn't he he's a guy that can be tough and tough in the corners but he's not he's not uh someone that's gonna make or break this team I think you know it's a guy you want on your team but between him and Larson there's not too much difference and uh I don't it's hard to tell which player you really prefer I think I think he really is a naturally a centerman uh Gergerson's is and uh I could see him being the fourth line center this year to start the season uh, or him or Larson between flopping those guys I don't know he could maybe play in the left wing uh, with Eichel and those guys but I'm not too sold on it as of right now yeah there are a lot of moving parts it's going to depend on does Sam Reinhardt stay at wing does he ultimately play center do they try to roll the the strong center spine with a lot of wingers then I mean obviously you'd have Larson as your fourth line center in that situation and Gergensen's would be a winger on one of those top three lines uh, but yeah a lot of question marks and really what happens with Reinhardt is a domino that causes a lot of these other things to fall and it impacts what other guys probably make the the final top 12 forwards as well uh, but yeah I I agree with you he's another guy I think is a nice glue guy him being able to play center and wing is nice like he's better on the wing than Larson is which is why ultimately he's been pushed to the wing Larson's been pretty ineffective overall on the wing um but maybe he is a, a natural center. And I think part of it is you can look back to his development and the reason why maybe he plays better with less structure in his game where he had such a rapid development getting to the NHL that he wasn't allowed to really perfect his game at each level because he immediately went to the AHL rather than going to college. He went right from the USHL to the AHL, which is a huge leap, and then yes. quickly went from – the AHL the following year to the NHL and was quickly relied upon to be the number one center on those teams. So probably picked up bad habits along the way, was playing for bad teams, um, was in a non-existent system under Ted Nolan. And uh, I think that's a, that's a player you can look at that his development very well was botched and maybe doesn't have the offensive skill that he otherwise would have had either. Cause I think he was just having to, do whatever he could to keep his head above water and survive that you can't you can't develop some of those things that you otherwise would be able to but i'm expecting probably a similar contract to larson maybe slightly more expensive due to his prior track record of putting up some points a little more mm-hmm. offensive touch but probably a guy very similarly and, and you touched on it that will, will probably be a casualty of um the big commitments upcoming to Eichel and to Reinhardt and maybe Kane as well. Uh, another guy, Nathan Beaulieu, recent addition, had 20, he was 28 or 29 points last year, but was benched in the playoffs. Obviously, he was expendable, so that so the Canadians were willing to trade him for a third round pick to the Sabers. Uh, where are you thinking on this contract? I could see this kind of being in a wider range. It's it's very hard to tell. Uh, Boy, you you know a seventeenth overall draft pick. Um, he's twenty four years old, I do believe. Um, yeah, twenty four years old, and uh, 
He's uh, looking. He this is this, so this will be his last year of restricted free agency. Um, it's really interesting to see what their arbiter will award him. I, if I was him, I think I'd I might be going to arbitration all the way to get that to get that payday. I it depends on what the Sabres plans are for him. I would like to see his him. The Sabres have really good. You know, I'd like to see him on a you know a two to th- a three two to three year deal for uh, within a little under that four million dollar range, probably. Uh, you know, maybe a a contract, you know, three and a half, four, somewhere in between there, with the cap going up every year. I'm not sure. It's it, it's hard to. Are pay you talking it, about total or or per year? Uh. With uh, it will total yeah. So I'm saying like two years, four, four million, four and a half million, somewhere between there, for a a total year, not just per year. But uh, it's hard. It's hard to. It's hard to know what what he's gonna have. You know, with him being in and out of the lineup and him starting the year with on the left hand side of Shea Weber, for him to come to a brand new team, it, it's kind of hard uh, to. Uh, Pick your pick where you want that contract to be at. Um, what do you think, Mark? Yeah, I think a one-year deal makes sense on uh, makes sense from his perspective, which very well may be why he's deciding to go to arbitration. Um, he seems to be a pretty confident guy and thinking he can come into a new system and have a better year, be able to get a bigger payday next year. I mean, maybe the Sabers are trying to to get him locked up for a couple of years, but. Of of all the guys on this you know on this list of all the outstanding restricted free agents at least the big ones I'm not counting Evan Rodriguez as well but I think he's probably the most likely to be back on a one year deal rather than something longer um, I I, I kind of want Robin Leonard to be back on a one year deal as well but I see it as more likely that he ends up signing a multi year deal you know a, a, a two or three year deal or something um, versus Bolu. With 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 Leonard, uh, I don't want to jump off a of boy right away, but uh, with uh, Leonard, what what's the 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 most amount of money that you would be comfortable taking him on a contract that's more than one year? Um, probably four million dollars if it's Four two years. years per year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for for one year, I'd be uncomfortable above four point five. Okay. Probably, and if they're going yeah. out two years, um, I think I'd I'd be at about four. Probably most people's range is a little bit higher than that. But, uh how about you? Uh yeah. I I think, I think of Leonard. I would take. I think I would take the contract of four point anywhere between four point two five four and a half. For two to three years, I'd be, I'd, I'd sign up for that right away. I think, just to see how he played last year, which was pretty well in my opinion, and a system where he just got peppered with shots. So the only thing that does scare me it's just switching systems, and if he's not seeing the puck fly him as much, maybe that makes his game completely different. So 
It could be a little risky, but I would like, you know, anywhere from four and a half. If if it got to four and a half, I'd be cool if two years, possibly three. Um, bringing in bringing in Chad Johnson at two and a half, I don't want to be for one year only, though, but I don't want to be have too much tied up in goaltending as well. So, um, Yeah, that was one signing we didn't talk about, too. Mm-hmm. Um, probably one we should touch on. I thought it was a little expensive, but um, I think stabilizing stabilizing influence, and uh, it's nice to be able to keep Olmark in the minors for another year. I think I think that'll that'll be huge in his development. Did you see uh, what Andrew Nelson got in Vancouver? Yeah, what was his average? He got two and a half for two years. Yeah. I Which is surprising. I mean, that's that's yeah. Jim Benning. Yeah, Vancouver is a, a giant question mark in my mind. But uh, I mean, backup goalies are getting paid more in this offseason. There's been some guys that have taken advantage of putting strong seasons together, and Chad Johnson is one of them that uh, did as well. Uh, that being said, a two and a half million dollar contract for your backup goalie is a lot better on a one year deal than a two year deal. Oh yeah, that's why I, yeah I wasn't mad about it at all because that was the real important thing is keeping your obligation to this year. I, I'd rather pay two point five million for this year than to do two million over two years or two million per over two years because I think it opens up next year. You've got flexibility now, assuming Olmark takes the next step down in the AHL, has a good year down there. He can step up and be the backup next year. And now you've got a cheap backup at $750,000 rather than having to figure out what am I going to do with this other guy making two, $2.5 So I I thought it was a nice move, and it, it made sense. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I uh, Especially when, when you don't know what's going on with Leonard, um, that being said, you don't want to be going in the season about him. I don't. I think the chances of that are slim to none. Uh, a lot of fans want to stir up speculation that they're just not going to match the qualifying offer because they don't want him. But that's not the truth. It's just they don't know what what's really left in him. I mean, there's a lot of question marks on Leonard and in a different system. Like I said earlier, you you, you don't exactly know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think there are just some Leonard haters out there. It's a big function of what they gave up to trade for him, and people are going to be rooting against him no matter what. And even though that trade's already done, it's a sunk cost. I hate it as much as the next guy, but they are where they are now with, with Leonard. And unless that arbitration award is ridiculous, I, they're not going to walk away from it. I, um, yeah. You take it for one year, figure out how to make the cap work, and then – you maybe wouldn't qualify Leonard next year because he would still be a restricted free agent, um, and maybe you would let him become an unrestricted free agent next year. I think that would be the far more likely. Like, say he was to be awarded $5.5 million or something crazy like that. Yeah. I still think the Sabres would probably accept it, but then when it mm-hmm. comes around next year, you have to qualify him at that $5.5 million salary. So he'd be able to sign another one-year deal to come back and play for $5.5 million and then become an unrestricted free agent. And, you know, they wouldn't be willing to do that, I don't think, with uh, with all the, all the big contracts they're going to have to pay out next year and the cap crunch that's really coming. So 
Um, do you, I don't do really you, see a realistic you, scenario where they walk away from Leonard this offseason. Yeah, and uh, even if the, they do get that 5.5, say that's the number, and Leonard comes in and plays, and then next season uh, they let him, you know, they let him walk. And what you do? You even think he'd get that in the open market? <laughs> it completely depends on the season that he has. He'd he'd have to have a pretty yeah. good season, I think, to be able to get that. Uh, yeah, to be able to get that on the open market, but. You never know. You never know how big teams' needs are. Um, every every season is different. I think this year it, things were toned down compared to where they usually are in terms of handing out huge money. I didn't think there were any, you know, there were some dumb contracts. There always are some dumb contracts, but there weren't any just absolutely ridiculous ones that you, like you just that you just can't believe. I mean, maybe the Patrick Marlowe one would be the <laughs> the one that comes to mind. But, yeah, that was that was going through my head. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even that one, I can see the justification for it, but I still don't get it. But if that's the dumbest contract that's handed out, it's a it's a pretty tame free agent period. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the the whole no buyout thing on that's what gets me. They they really believe Marlowe's going to be worth that money for three years. So. Well, and he could retire too, and that still is going to count against your cap, which. Yep. And you're going to be paying Matthews by the end of that deal, and Nylander and Marner. You know, all Marner. those guys are going to have to be paid by the end of that deal. That's what was so shocking about that to me. Just that, that you don't want to mess around with those 35 plus contracts. Um, some, uh, but uh, some management moves also have been taking place since we've uh, last talked. Uh, Randy Sexton comes in as the assistant general manager uh, and the general manager of Rochester, and that's uh, the first. Um, that's basically the same position that Bottrell was uh, in with Pittsburgh the last number of years, and um, also Rochester got a coach in Chris Taylor, a guy who's been in and out of the Sabres organization for some time, most of the time spent in Rochester. Um, what do you, what do you think about those two moves, Mark? Um, I liked I liked the Sexton hire quite a bit, mm-hmm. and I had referenced him earlier when we were talking about Rochester. And it seems like they they really want to make the AHL team a focal point and um, to make this really a, a full development organization. Of course, that's easier said than done. So we'll see. You know, we'll see how they actually do this year. The Chris Taylor hiring it seemed like kind of the path of least resistance you know it's a it's a name that people know um i would have liked to have seen somebody that you see maybe more as a rising star in the coaching ranks um, yeah maybe taylor is that and maybe i'm just being cynical because whenever you see a familiar name like that hired like a hometown guy that played for the team for a long time you tend to think oh well is this just Nepotism, or just trying to appease the fans briefly by hiring a name that they recognize. Uh, well, so th- well, didn't they? Um, now, correct me if I'm wrong, please. But uh, didn't Taylor come in last year with? Uh, didn't Botterell hire hire Taylor to be the assistant coach of Wilkes uh, Scranton last year? Um, I believe so. So I mean, he, ar- he, sure. he already had. He already had. Attention from uh, already had attention from 
uh, a successful organization that, hey, come be our assistant coach or our minor league team, and maybe you can work your way up to being the head coach there. So, I mean, I don't think it's it's a, a move of pleasure for fans by any means, but it could be. But the way I saw it was, hey, this is a, a guy that got, got an offer from one of the best organizations in the league, went there, and now... He was already he was already in Bottle's plan uh, for his uh, for Scranton last year. So you know he saw he mu- he must like what he saw in the guy. He, I don't think he just gave it to him because hey you were with the Amherst for so long. Yeah, I agree. I wasn't trying to imply that that was the you know the only reason or even the primary reason, but. It, it makes it easier if you've got a pool of 100 different candidates and, and you look at really the struggles that the Amherst have had in recent years and you think, well, I've got this guy. He's been an, he's been an assistant in the AHL for a while. I'm familiar with him. The fans are going to know him. It's going to be popular among the fans. So I'm going to go with this guy that I know. Um, I'm not saying that he, he's an unqualified hire by any means because he's been an assistant in the AHL for, I think, since his uh, playing career ended, something like what five, six years ago, and he was an assistant with the the Americans prior to going to Wilkesbury, so it's he's not an unqualified hire by any means. I wasn't trying trying to imply that at all, but uh, yeah, yeah, they must they must have liked him, and and familiarity is obviously important with a lot of Botterill's hires. He's hiring a lot of guys that he knows, so he must see something in Taylor and like him. And uh, I'm certainly willing to give give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, should uh, should be interesting. Uh, ho- hope you know, and hopefully, I'm sure he'll get that respect in the locker room. You know, being uh, being with the Sabers in Rochester for so long, it's something that he's been a part, a big part of his life. So it could be a good thing. Um, but. Uh, those, I, I think the Sexton moves very good. Um, I thought I honestly I was quite uh, I was quite intrigued by the fact that we did this whole Sabres head coach search for so long before it came that Housley that was named uh, coach. But uh, thought it was interesting that uh, Rick Tockett signed uh, is now the head coach of the Arizona Coyotes, a guy that we didn't even interview that we thought was. I believed was the front runner for the Sabres job and a lot of other people did too. Yeah, that was interesting. It was in, an interesting time too to fire Tippett and then to go with Tockett. And I think Tockett was the number one name out on the market. So it makes sense. But uh, yeah, we ended up not talking really about how that all came out afterwards that Tockett was never even interviewed with the Sabres and that, deflated a lot of the conversation that we had regarding it where we were talking about you know these two being neck and neck front runners and and all that but yeah that that Arizona team is going to be interesting with uh the Steppen addition uh and the Jalmerson addition and yeah. just that that young core they have that that'll be a, a fun team to watch and I loved that they got rid of Mike Smith as well yeah got out from underneath that contract yeah they uh I think I think what Arizona's done's been really good, and uh, they're, the the kid there, their GM, is uh, is uh, been making some really good moves. Uh, Stepan's going to be awesome, like you said, and 
having a guy who's solid as Chalmerson there too, uh, it's going to make this team a lot better. So um, they'll be a team that I, um, that I think most people will be looking to improve this year. Definitely. Yeah, I think there's there's nowhere to go but up, and I wonder if you're feeling some pressure to try to have some results sooner rather than later. And Ekman Larson, I believe, has two years left on his deal, and so that's obviously a huge deal. That's the face of your franchise. You want him to stay, and you probably yeah. need to start making some incremental steps toward actually competing over these next two years in order for him to stay. Uh Anything else league-wide or anything else within the organization that you that you wanted to talk about? Well, um, I don't. We don't have to really kill on this because I know a lot of other people talk about it. But does it drive you nuts that uh, you didn't see another year and we haven't seen any uh, any uh, offer sheets? Uh, and I know we've touched on it before, but guys like um, Burakovsky would have been a great, uh, a cool, a nice uh, addition to our team up front, and he didn't get, get make didn't make much money. We talked about uh, Dmitry Orlov to um, the Capitals with their whole cap situation. Uh, no pun intended. We. Uh, no one, no one in the whole league tried to steal a player from him, but they did end up moving Marcus Johansson for nothing, which I thought was uh, pretty, uh, pretty sad because uh, that's a pretty good player in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's unfortunate it's not used. I think it would make things a lot more interesting and put more pressure on teams to to be more considerate of the cap, but. I think eventually you're going to have some GM or a couple GMs start to use them, and then the floodgates will open. I think that's got to happen at some point. You, know, you look at the movement across all sports to find every single little inefficiency and to exploit it, and then eventually the rest of the league or the sport catches up to that little inefficiency that you caught, kind of the whole money ball phenomenon. And... There aren't a ton of situations where an offer sheet makes sense with the current compensations. Maybe if they tone down the compensation levels a bit, you would get a lot more of them. Uh, because you have to both, your offer has to be high enough where the other team isn't going to match it, where you're reasonably confident the other team's not going to match it, and you have to be willing to give that compensation. So you're paying above market value, and you're giving up compensation. So you've got to be either very confident in the player or catch a team in the right situation. But if those compensation levels are moved down, that becomes less of an issue. Teams are always willing to pay more in market value uh, for a particular player that they really like or to fill a need. If the compensation isn't crazy, then I think you'd see a lot more of them. But, yeah, I agree that yeah. the fact that restricted free agents really are, by and large, untouchable, unless they, unless they want to go overseas, unless they want to go to the KHL or something, um, it – makes free agency less interesting and the off seasons less interesting in general. Well, you know, let's uh, go back to, on and like I said, I'm not trying to kill this, but uh, go back to Andre Barakowski's uh, contract. He got $6 million for two years. Um, if Sabres were to offer him $8 million for two years, 
uh, that would have been we our compensation. I believe would have been uh, a third round pick or a third and a second. I don't. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, I don't have it up and I don't have it up in front yeah. of me, but um, but they would have matched that certainly. That's the issue with the offer sheets. Is yeah, Washington certainly would have matched that. Um, and worst case, they would have held on to to Burakovsky until the date they could trade him and they'd be able to find an, uh, a willing trading partner if they really thought that it was strapping them that much against the cap. Um, so, like, I think where it really would come into play is the the high-level players where you, if you have multiple high-level guys reaching restricted free agency in the same year and you've got um, – and that team has cap issues. And I don't know how many scenarios there are like this. Drysdale probably would be, could be a, a comparable example right now where they'd both Drysdale and McDavid coming to unrestricted free agency. If, if if those compensation levels weren't so ridiculous, you know, if it wasn't four first round picks above that, what is it, nine something million dollar threshold per year, whatever it is, yeah. I think you would see you would see teams do that. So I think it's really in the high level where the compensation, the compensations are an issue. Yeah. Well, the, the con- with the contract that I just proposed about Burakovsky, it would have been a first and a third round pick. And that's pretty high for uh, unless you think that you're a team that a first round pick doesn't really matter if you're going to be in the Stanley Cup Finals, which the Sabres aren't going to be even with an addition like Burakovsky. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, even there probably it depends on the team but the capitals would be tempted to want to take that pick or those picks especially from yeah. the sabers i think they'd probably be willing to let them go at that price mm-hmm. but that's why you see these uh the offer sheets tending to be extended out longer because it makes them more difficult to swallow to accept like if you even see them being proposed but they're just what? oh sorry um i'm sorry yet to um what do you think of uh, um, Bottero came out yesterday and said that there is no talks this se- there will be no talks this season with a San Reinhardt extension expense eh, extension uh, I uh, I for one you know like like that idea one thing at a time uh, I'm sure you're probably feeling about the same way yeah yeah I think the way things are looking now. A bridge deal for Reinhardt probably is possibly in play, and it depends on on how he plays this year. And maybe if he really takes off, takes his game to another level, then maybe he's a guy that you commit out long term to right away. And if you're able to get a sweetheart deal, um, I'd be willing to to think about it. But I'm sure Reinhardt doesn't want to do that right now um, because his his value isn't what it could be after this year. And I think he realizes that if he goes out has a 60 point season or something then what the, the contract he gets next offseason will be far larger than what he could get now. And then, uh, so I don't think the motivation is there on his side. And then the Sabres probably look at it like, we know the motivation is not there on his side. We'd rather take the time to evaluate and be able to, to figure it out next offseason, not have to project out too far ahead. So whereas we talked about with, with Eichel, it makes a lot of sense from both sides. Reinhardt, I can certainly see why... Neither side is that motivated. 
Yeah. Yep. Um. So, uh, you got any uh, anything el- anything else you want to touch on, Mark? Um. I don't think so. Uh, I think we we hit on all the acquisitions. We can probably save talking about line construction, you know, that much further. We talked about it definitely on defense some, and uh, but we can save that for another episode. We've got the the rest of this juicy time in between prospect camp and training camp to dissect every possible uh, <laughs> every possible scenario and and all that that there is. So uh, we can yeah. probably save that for another day. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we we. Uh, I'm glad that we got the chance to get out here and uh, get on here and uh, talk about what's been going on th- this last uh, about a month we, since we put our last podcast out and it's been uh, it's been a lot of exciting stuff and you know a bit like I said earlier and you said earlier a big hat off to J- Jason Botterell, uh really starting to you know make some, make some moves and make this team his own and I think a the, they really hit with middle stat, and we're gonna have to wait a year or two to see him up in pro. But uh, I think that's—I mean, I know it's just I went and saw him just play three on three, but the kid has some serious skill. Definitely, yeah, I yeah. completely agree, and I, I'm glad we were able to talk and catch up on all this. I've been looking forward anxiously to to getting this done and being able to talk through all the moves, and I figured we'd have pretty similar takes on everything and I think we echo the sentiments of the Sabres fan base at large when we say that we're pretty happy with with what happened if you had told me prior to the offseason this is how things would would go down I would say sign me up for that 10 times out of 10 so feeling cautiously optimistic and if anyone made it this far and they disagree with us you know get a hold of uh, Mark or myself and uh, let us know what you think um, it's always I'm always curious to pick the minds of uh, other Sabres fans, uh, radical or not, and uh, it's always interesting to hear what everyone has to say. But for the large uh, amount of us, I I believe are very happy and anxious to, for it to become training camp and then October, so we can watch some more hockey. Because I'm uh I'm knee I'm knee high and. Yankees baseball and it's uh been fun but it's getting a little stressful too (laughs) yeah yeah they've been performing like you'd expect a Buffalo team to perform recently so (laughs) yeah you know they came out with so much fanfare and hype and it's been it's been pretty tough to watch the Yankees but yeah this is that tough time of year when baseball's got to get you through to all the other sports and Bill's training camp will be opening up before before too long and and you've got hockey and basketball season, my two favorites, coming up. So uh, yeah. fun to watch and, and, and always fun to talk to you. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, if I could say one last thing, it's, uh, you know, we, we everyone knows the NBA contracts are crazy. And we talked about this last podcast. But Sammy Watkins, uh, receiver for our Buffalo Bills, super talented young man, uh, got on and said he needs to get paid more. Well, Sammy Watkins, I got news for you, buddy. I uh, I spent a lot of money watching your sport, watching Buffalo sports. Uh, I invest a lot of time in it, and I work three minimum wage jobs throughout the year, and don't make hardly enough money. So, strap your strap your uh, p- 
pads on them and get ready to play a whole season before you can start complaining about NBA contracts compared to NFL contracts. Yeah, it's kind of an apples and oranges comparison to talking about the NBA versus the NFL, just completely different sports because basketball there's so such fewer players and in the nfl you've got 53 guys on a roster Um, i know the the nfl does very well revenue wise and i'm surprised that guaranteed contracts haven't made their way into the nfl that's a pretty big disadvantage for players in that sport compared to to players in the nba and in the nhl too but Mm -hmm. uh yeah for Watkins in particular i probably wouldn't be talking about money going into this season go out and ball out, have a great season, and then the money's going to come, whether it's from Buffalo or, or from another team. Uh, and I think I think it will be interesting, the next negotiations with the NFL between the Players Association and um, and the league, because I think I think the players have gotten a bit of a raw deal on that. Yeah, and you look definitely. at how popular the NFL is. I know they slipped a bit last year. Last year was a rougher year for ratings and everything. Um, some people can, some people put the causation on the Colin Kaepernick stuff. I, I don't know if it was – I think it was a lot bigger than that. I think it was more just entertainment level. There weren't a ton of really entertaining games throughout the season for whatever reason last year. I think that played a much bigger role. But um, I would expect the players to fight pretty hard for guaranteed contracts when they see what these other – what guys in these other sports are making. Yep, yep. Well, um, you know, good for, you know, like you said, apples and oranges, uh, 12 guys to 52 uh, on a bench. So it's a, it's a completely different game. But uh, these guys shouldn't be fighting over money either. <laughs> yeah, and <clears throat> another point I, I did want to make, uh, I saw somebody saying in reference to Steph Curry's huge contract that he signed talking about how many like saying is Steph Curry worth this much well the alternative is either Curry is worth this revenue that he's bringing in which people are willingly going and paying their money to to go watch the Golden State Warriors play but if you reduce what Curry makes then you just have that much more going to the owners who are even richer than the players and I think uh when people are trying to make that argument I think we've got to keep that in mind too that as long as people are willingly going and paying these very high ticket prices and high merchandise prices and everything, somebody's going to be making a ton of money. Do you want it to be directly the players or do you want it to be the even richer owners in the league as a whole? Um, yeah. You know, it's kind of one of those which is less bad. But we also could choose to just not be spending our money on, on sports anymore too. You know, that's the that's the only true alternative to bring down what these leagues make and i yeah. and i don't see that happening anytime soon i uh i bet the bull yesterday mark and i bought a a nice savers long sleeve shirt uh nice made out of nice materials for 20 bucks it was on clearance at the at the development camp so i was trying to spend any more money on sports but i did again they always get you i'm i'm just yeah. as guilty of it as you are my uh, my vice is jerseys, but I'm I'm more in the eBay game and the well, AliExpress game. Yeah, yeah. At least you're uh, su- you're supporting a household on the eBay <laughs> game for the most part. 
That's true. That's going right back to the people. Yep, yep. <laughs> Their investment's paying off. That starter jacket they got for twenty dollars twenty years ago is now worth eighty. So that's true. I've made some yeah. made some good money in that game myself, but don't do it as much anymore. That was more of a desperation thing, trying to flip stuff you find in thrift stores on on eBay. It, it, there's definitely money to it. You just got to find the right stuff. Well, um, Mark, it's always a pleasure, buddy. I can't wait to. Uh, do this again and uh, thank you uh, Savers fans for uh, listen, going this far of us and uh, giving us a listen today thanks everyone talk to you soon Josh had a great time you too buddy bye <laughs>